Welcome to Season 5 of the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the films we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. What's up, bro? In our Season 5 premiere episode, we're going to talk about this science fiction horror classic, Ridley Scott's Alien. A seven-member crew of a commercial spaceship encounter a lethal extraterrestrial creature after investigating an unknown transmission on a foreign planet. When I watched Alien for the first time, it scared the shit out of me. Uh, and it, To a degree, it continues to do so to this day. It is just one of those films where you're on the edge of your seat, uh, gripping the armrests. Uh, even though you know what happens, it, it just the, the visceral fear uh, still strikes to my core. How old do you think you were when you first saw it? Uh, it it's hard to say. Probably too young. <laughs> probably younger than I should have been. Uh, yeah, I was like probably like 11, 12 yeah, maybe. That's so probably, it, it scared it, the fucking shit out of me just because of how young I was. I mean, when you're 14 and under, it, movies are very impressionable. Yeah, especially like, I don't know, like when, when you watch it on, um, like you know, we watched it, even though DVDs are around, our dad had like everything on VHS, had this just vast collection. Oh, yeah, dad showed it to me for sure, yeah. Yeah, so like you watch, you watch. That's almost every great movie that I saw at that age, yeah. Yeah, you watch something on VHS though, and it, it kind of, uh, some of those things that you, when you watch it in high definition today, you're like, oh, that's, you, know, you can kind of see past the the, the special effects or whatever. I don't know. In, in a sense, the low tech almost got you into the pay attention to the film more. Um, so, like for for me, just even just watching it in a living room in broad daylight, you know, it, it it's still yeah. You're right. When you're under fourteen, it just it, it has a different. Well, effect you would on see you. it on VHS uh, or or you you know popping the DVD. But I think growing up, it was more about like catching it on cable. Now, granted, you had the fucking commercial, so it'd be like three hours long at that point. So it was kind of a commitment to sit there and watch it. But uh, even uh, on the cable channels, you'd catch it on like, you know, HBO uh, uh, East or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Showtime 2 or whatever the fuck, you know, all those different movie channels. You you would just, if you caught it anywhere in Alien, you're watching it. Yeah. And that's why one of the reasons it has such a high replay value is in, you catch the movie at any point, you're on board, you're, you're, you're all the way in. And even if you see it on a streamer, uh, n- nowadays you're flipping through you Oh, well, what time is it? No, okay, I'll fucking yeah. put Alien on. Like it's it's just an enjoyable film to watch. It, it, it is very much so. Uh, so as with with all films, it's got to start somewhere. So who made it? How did it? How did it get done? Well, it starts with Above the Line crew. Uh, it was produced by Gordon Carroll, David Giller, and Walter Hill. But it, it was all starts with Dan O'Bannon. He, it was written by yeah. him, conceived by him. Uh, Ronald Chussett uh, partnered with him and wrote it with him as well. But it it, it came as it's more or less a. A remake of Dark Star, but Dark Star was a comedy, so it's it's more of a horror uh, uh, spin on the same material. Well, not not necessarily a remake, but that was the inspiration because, like you know, the Alien, like like you said, it was a horror comedy. So the the idea of it when O'Bannon was doing that was to say, okay, well, I, I like this. This is great, and he actually did Dark Star with with John Carpenter, none other than than the, the great uh, uh, horror film director himself. But he's like, okay, I want to do something more serious. And then it pivoted into what would eventually become Alien. You know, I thought was interesting with the Shusset and Bannon partnership is that 
they kind of made a, a pact. Hey, you help me make my movie Alien. I'll help you make your movie Total Recall. And if you match <laughs> those two movies up, I mean, Alien is uh, was infinitely more successful. And Total Recall came several years later too. You know, it, it got yeah. it got shelved for quite a while. Uh, the film directed by Ridley Scott, his second feature film. This movie put Ridley Scott on the map. I mean, he had the duelist the, the, before this, but this marked the arrival of Ridley Scott as a serious uh, auteur filmmaker. Yeah, the duelist got got him the job. And I've never seen the duelist, but I saw it was in it was like Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel. And I was kind of like, comes full it. circle when you think about the last duel. You know, mm. you think uh, of all the oh, films yeah. he's made in between. Yeah, it's somewhat pretty interesting there. Yeah, even though it was only a second film, I mean, it brought some clout to it. They were able to double the budget. So, I mean, Ridley Scott, obviously, the name speaks for himself. And it's like, well, they doubled the budget off of his storyboards alone. That's how great his storyboard. I think that what they doubled it from four point two to eight point four just off the storyboards. Yeah, yeah. and I don't want to get you going on Ridley Scott because we could have a whole podcast about it. So I'll, we'll just limit it to this. Yeah, we we could do the Ridley Scott podcast, <laughs> right? And, and, and how awesome! Well, I was going to say, yeah, but, but, but how great is it that uh, this is a true distinction that Ridley Scott has on this podcast that so we are doing back-to-back episodes of his films. We finished uh, yes. season four with Gladiator. We are starting season five with Alien. That uh, We love Ridley Scott. We love his movies. And what better way <laughs> to, uh, shows that than, than by the episode selection? We, we could go on forever. And I know, I know that you're a huge fan of his. We both are. But I want to ask you this, Warren. Top five Ridley Scott films. Because here's the thing. A lot of directors, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, they're very selective with the films they do. They've done a small number in comparison to Ridley Scott. I think he's done directed over Just so prolific, yeah, sixty or seventy at this point. So, well, that's because he's a director. He he doesn't write all his stuff. So right. uh, that that that's one of the reasons why he's able to do you know two. He's two, a rare a, a rare uh, director that has both quality and quantity uh, yes. in his in his repertoire. Uh, so let me ask you this: top five Ridley Scott films. Top five, five to top one. five. Okay, yeah. so uh, why? Wow. Ooh, uh, I got my top two ranked. I'll just give you the the bottom three. Uh, got In no a, particular ooh. order. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. We'll, we'll go to. Uh, ooh, oh, that's hard to do. Um, no, we, we can rank them. Uh, number five is Black Hawk Down. Okay, I also have that at number five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four is Thelma and Louise. Okay, that didn't quite make my top five, and I actually forget well, that he has have. done that movie. Yes, I, it, you, it's you don't even you think bastard. about it. That is, yeah, I know. How could you not have Thelma and Louise on your list? Well, when um, you hear my others, you'll you'll you can see. Oh, okay, it just, okay. You know. uh, I'm gonna have to go with Gladiator number three. Okay. Uh, Alien number two. Yeah, and Blade Runner number one. Wow, that's that's so funny that four of those I had those the same. I uh, I had. Uh, Blade Runner at one, Alien at two, Gladiator at three. My only difference was I had The Martian at number four, and then Blackhawk down. Oh, no, you five. love The Martian. Yeah, oh, okay. it's so, so good. We, I love so it. So we matched up on four of the five. It, it, not, the same movie's in the exact same ranking. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Ridley Scott, I mean, just just an incredible filmography. So no, no surprise, I think, we that we had four Somewhat matchups in the same order there. Yeah. Uh, Thumb and Louise though is was close for me. 
Yes, Scott's such a smart filmmaker. I mean, and he's like a James Cameron. He he's such an informed director. He's a conductor uh, on set. Here's Ridley Scott actually talking about uh, the designing the elements uh, of Alien. The creature was unique and still probably remains to be one of the best of the best. If I hadn't got that, I wouldn't have had such a movie. So I'm going to first of all say that. But at least I acknowledge it and recognize it really early on. I didn't look. There it was, and I went for it. And he wanted to redesign it. I said, no, right here in Necronomicon is the, is the creature. Just This is a, a high enough bar to reach just to get that right. I said, we haven't got digital effects today. And all those things that now help us to do anything. In those days, it was all by, you know, wires and pulleys. And um, so we got that right. And I was relieved at convincing him what follows then, of course, is... Uh, a good dynamic screenplay, which the, I think the dynamics of the script and the clockwork precision of what would happen were pretty good. So then it means dressing it. And um, I'll come to an extremely good cast last. I haven't forgotten them. Um, the art direction of the Nostromo and the Earth world would be, I decide, separate from the art director, who would be the art director for the alien side of things, because they should look different. I didn't want to saddle two production designers with such a problem. So Michael Seymour made all Earth Earthworks. And H.R. Giger, in a funny kind of way, was in charge of the other side of the alien and actually got involved in drawing alien landscapes, etc. And Les Dilly was the production art director who actually took care of the alien planet, the caves, the tunnels inside the spaceship. So the two separate brains working on it which I felt more comfortable with. And that, it made sense, all the sense. Of it. On hindsight, it made absolute sense. Um, then off, after that, you've got to make it live. And living it means you've got to cast some really good people. So I got a great cast. And out of that, you then have to make the movie. And out of that, you then have to edit the movie. And out of that, you've got to score the movie. And all these things are all a delicate balance. But one way or another, yeah, I think it turned out uh, pretty well, even now. Obviously, listening to that, Ridley Scott is inspired. He has a point of view of what he was trying to deliver on and show in the film. Uh, what were some of the other inspirations when this was getting made? Well, some of Ridley Scott's inspirations, but I think you got to start with O'Bannon's inspirations. Uh, he went to work on uh, Dune before this movie. And the fa- not the 1984 Dune, uh, 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 David Lynch's Dune, uh, but the failed Dune in the 70s that was never right. made. It, yeah. it, it was uh, six months uh, uh, down the tubes in Paris, and then he came back. So that experience, I think, uh, you know, he met H.R. Geiger uh, in working on Dune, and obviously that had a huge impact because that relationship led to Geiger meeting Scott. And then mm-hmm. when you look at Geiger's contributions, I mean, it all starts with O'Bannon. And that really formed the nucleus for some of the design we'll talk about later. But some of the movie inspirations, you know, O'Bannon uh, pulled from some of the classic sci-fi and horror films uh, of yesteryear. 1951's The Thing from Another World. 1956 is The Forbidden Planet, and 1965's Planet of the Vampires. Those are three of the big films. Well, yeah, so he pulled from a lot of sci-fi works of the 50s and 60s, as you mentioned. Yeah, and, and I haven't seen any of those, but my, just from hearing the title, something's telling me those are like more of like the B-level campiness. So he just, he famously said, I didn't steal Alien from anybody, I stole it from everybody. So he yeah, just- so he he plucked from a lot of pictures. Plucked yeah. from a lot of things, yeah, so- uh, and then 
the studio, you know, they were really pushing to do sci-fi because of the su- success of Star Wars in 1977. You, you know, I got to plug in Star Wars in there somewhere, right? So, um, uh, but that, yeah, that, you know, it's funny because they pitched it as Jaws in space, but it wasn't Jaws that got the success that got the movie fucking greenlit. It was the success of Star Wars. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. It's pointing that out. Which, funny enough, uh, they, uh, O'Bannon worked in the special effects crew in Star Wars. He did. He worked with like the miniatures and stuff like that. So a little bit mm. of a connection there uh but the push to go to like true horror was ridley scott i mean that that because you get a different director in there and this could uh, very easily with the script they had just go straight in line with that b campy yeah horror go, level. yeah absolutely it would have it would have went down the uh the dark star route so you uh, talked like about the, the pitch being jaws in space but scott said he wanted to make it the texas chainsaw massacre of science fiction um so that 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 was the turn there is, you know, let's 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 make it an actual horror film. And they almost signed with Roger Corman before they met with Fox and ultimately signed with them. So think about if it went in Roger Corman's hands, it definitely would have been the B-movie horror. Yeah, so this franchise could not even have been a franchise. I mean, if this was done differently, it could have just been another schlocky uh, horror film. I don't want to get too deep into some of this stuff, but it is worth it. There's a lot of symbolism in this film, uh, a lot of crescents in the film. They originally had pyramids, uh, you know, to hint to the ancient civilization, which we eventually see in Prometheus. Uh, of course, it's widely been discussed the the sexual orientations to literally everything. The uh, shape uh, of the alien, yeah, and all that. Yeah, the, sure. the, yeah, phallic design, vagina, mouth. I mean, uh, you name it, everything. Yeah, is, I uh, think people looking a little too much into it, but. Sure, yeah. Sure, sure. When I watch it, to be quite frank, that doesn't really come across to me a whole lot. I'm caught up in the other elements. Listen, of the if film. it didn't come across to me as a 14 under, you know, pre like a teenage child, I'd be like, okay, I can see that. Then there's people looking too much into it. If anybody was going to come in, you know, looking yeah. too much into it about that age range. Well, and I mean, even when they, they they crack the story, which is how they figured out the the alien using a human as the host and then in, in, embedding an embryo into the human and it bursting out. I mean, they looked at wood wasp. I mean, they studied real animals. I mean, there's a great documentary called Memory that that goes into great detail about the symbolism and some of the the, the scientific uh, you know biology that they based the alien his behaviors and some of the stuff it did very very cool stuff we're not going to bore you guys with it on this podcast but uh remarkable to see how uh, deep meaning everything uh, just everything was so filled in for the film well that was the catalyst i mean for even getting a finished script was how is the alien going to get on the ship you can't just have it like tiptoe and sneak in when the 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 ramp yeah that's down, that was the that, yeah that, that was, was the, they, that was the problem yeah all right. Well, you know, you look at a film made in 1979. You know, it, it holds up, no question about it. Uh, but it, it is always intriguing to go back to see some things age better than others. Um, uh, so, before I get into that too much, what what were some of the effects? Like, how, how did how did they execute some of this on screen? Whether it be digital effects or special effects. Uh, what were some of the the iconic things they did? I, I think a lot of what they did was miniatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they shot it in real camera. They didn't have CGI back then. They certainly didn't use it. Uh, it was mostly makeup uh, and miniatures. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I mean, you know, you I think a lot of it goes back to the to the design, though. Uh, you know, H.R. Geiger, no, no surprise that he had um, a lot of. His fingerprints are all over the Alien franchise from, you know, the design of the, the face hugger, which was the first creature he created on film to the mm. what would eventually be called the xenomorphs themselves. 
I mean, that that was all H.R. Geiger, but you're right. They don't have a CGI to really help out with that. Yeah, the, they shot it all practical. There were three main sets, the surface on the alien planet, inside the, the derelict ship, and uh, inside of the Nostromo. Yeah, I mean, so you, lim- you limit the number of people, you limit the sets, and it does make it easier to, to execute in, the, in that in that degree. Well, they yeah. built them, though. Everything's life-size, you know, life size. and what they didn't do life-size or they would build, like, uh, like I said, miniatures of to be able to get everything they needed in camera. So, you know, Ridley Scott, if he can get it for real, he's going to. Well, I mean, one of the things they did is they had the spacesuits i mean that yeah i mean it's just such a different time it seems like i mean like i rather like with the spacesuits they originally didn't have like any type of ventilation system in them so the actors were passing out i mean there was one shot where ridley scott used his own children to make because they wanted to have like a scaling shot where the actors look smaller so he's just like i'll just put my kids in these suits that don't have ventilation and they almost passed out i mean it's just oh wow a a different time you know it just uh to get get the shot you do what you gotta do on a limited budget i mean for a film of this scale you would think they shot it a lot longer but you know it was on a shoestring budget at the end of the day considering everything they were trying to do 14 weeks so ridley scott pretty efficient in getting everything uh, from July to October 1978 at Shepperton Studios in London. So right in Scott's backyard, I think uh, he said he was able to drive to to the studios uh, pretty quick within 10 or 15 minutes every day. So it was uh, it was an easy commute for him. Yeah. Well, one, one thing I love is the aesthetic of the film. You know, obviously, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I love, love Star Wars. A lot of people do. Uh, it, it has its own, you know, aesthetic. It has a way that it looks. And Alien... Even though being made around the same time was a big push by the studio as a result of the success of Star Wars, as we, we talked about, it has its own different feel. It's like more this or uh, industrial type of low tech feel in a way that differs from Star Wars. So um, I only point that out because Roger Christian was the art director of Alien and used a lot of... Um, uh, scrap metal and old, you know, extra parts and things to create the the, the look mm. of it. The tech. He also was the art director and won an Academy Award for doing it on Star Wars: <laughs> A New Hope. Mm. So, and he was nominated for this film too. So, you know, just I think it speaks to his talent that he was able to be the art director on both films set in sci-fi, made within a couple of years of each other, and they both have a completely different feel to them. Yeah, we're talking about, you know, you mentioned things that haven't aged so well. I got to say the MS-DOS computer screen mode or mother. <laughs> all the lights around a, mother. Uh, yeah, it's like, what the, yeah, what the hell is all, that? All, 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 all the stuff of the computer is just really does date it. Uh, you would think they would have thought it maybe more futuristic. Even 2001 have somehow had iPads and uh, they were already had them on uh, doing uh, Zoom calls. So yeah, um, I, a little more innovation there. Uh, but hey, that's okay. That they were going for a gritty futuristic realism, and the, you know it worked. It does, yeah. And you're right. I mean, there are some things that eh, 1979 don't age as as well as others. Um, one thing I do feel like does is when you use more practical things like, um, like with, with Ash broken all apart, they used like milk, pasta and caviar and like the white, you know why they do the milk. Why is that? Well, because they get the X rating if it's blood. If you do like a Westworld cyborg and that's all (laughs) blood or red, you get the X rating. But if it's milk, no one gives a shit. No one cares. Uh, no one cares. It's all about the, it's all about red. It's all about the color red. 
Well, you know, so I, that's I, all that matters. I just thought, you know, milk, you know, that's how androids are powered, you know, to power through milk, you know, anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Didn't they get it in Taxi Driver too? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. why he did like the, 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 Black and white, or did like I mean, a, so how, how, how many? Tell me, Phil, how many? How many robots at home do you have that are powered by milk? I'm well, just I, I mean, you know, after I give them the milk, not much longer. But for a little while, they run okay. <laughs> Ask my six-year-old. So um, anyway, uh, w- one thing uh, we're talking about: the heads getting ripped off. I got to mention. Scott wanted the alien to bite Ridley's head off in the quote fourth act, uh, where you know there at the very end, and had the alien do the final log in Ripley's voice. Where's that movie? What I the wish hell? they shot that. That would have been awesome. Oh, what the hell? That would have been weird, but I mean, you would have not had your franchise. They but... weren't thinking franchise back then. You didn't have Aliens till seven years later. They weren't thinking a sequel when That's this movie true. came out. That's true. That's true. I mean, you could have, could, could we get like 2003? We could get a director's cut where maybe he gets a double in there for Sigourney <laughs> Weaver. Come on. It's maybe doable. Yeah, they, they, they cloned her. They cloned I mean, like fucking the Snyder one, so. shooting fucking uh, Justice League extra scenes in his driveway during the pandemic. Anything's possible. That's true. And we move on to the stars of the picture. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. All right. Seven principal actors. No, uh, that's it. No extras, no background, that's no uh, supporting characters. Uh, you know, this is, uh, it's not really. Well, yeah, I mean, you do have the voice of mother and you have the alien. So you sure. technically nine, uh, but uh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so starring uh, Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, Harry Dean Stanton, Veronica Cartwright in Home, and Yechet Koto. Yeah, and then you had uh, Balaji Badejo as or Badejo uh, as the as the alien. So, um, which actually that was his only acting credit. He was six ten. Uh, we seven feet tall in the suit, so I mean, yeah, yeah, faded yeah. To, into obscurity after this role. Well, uh, he was like a, an art student, I think. So I mean, that was that was. I think he by chance got introduced to Ridley Scott, and he's just like, you have these long limbs and can kind of personify the the alien and just uh, this unnatural movement, but somewhat human like still. So, mm. um, so I want to go back to the we went we're starting at the bottom of the call sheet this time. Let's go back to the top. And you think I'm going to say Sigourney Weaver, and that's who it shows on IMDb. But when you watch this film. Uh, I said Sigourney Weaver first. That's what I'm saying. But you go to IMDb. Yeah, yeah I know. Sigourney Weaver. It's the top. And it should be the top of the call yeah. sheet. But when you watch oh, yeah. this film and you see a Ridley Scott film, who is the first actor's name you see? It's Tom Skerritt. It's Tom Skerritt. Why does Tom Skerritt. Get top, get, why does he get top billing in the opening credits? Well, I don't get because it because it's a business and he probably at the time was the most known actor, probably got paid the most money and had the biggest cachet as an actor. So they give him top billing in the film, yeah. But I mean, like, I, I, and I get Ripley's not the hero to like the you last. You don't want to minutes. show your hand. There you go. That's what Weaver's I was thinking. The it was. hero. If she gets top billing, then you're like, well, shit. She probably lives till the end. So that's what I was thinking. I was it was going to be this cliche where you know he's the captain. He's going to be the hero that saves the day. And you kind of think he might be in the tunnel there for a minute, and then it you know of course doesn't work out. But uh, well, yeah, you're right. It was back in 1979. Everyone's expecting Dallas to be the hero. His no fucking name is thinking, Dallas. It's his name is Dallas. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. one's thinking Ripley's gonna be the last woman's. No, nobody's thinking that. Uh, there hadn't been a lot of last girl heroes to this point. Now, granted, Halloween had come out the year before, but that was just a one-off in this. But it, this it wasn't common. So when Ripley ended up being the the heroine at the end, uh, it was a culture shock. 
Rock at the time. I mean, like I said, did everyone else died? No one saw that coming. Okay, I do want to ask this about Tom Skerritt because you know clearly very well known for Alien. But between me and you, Warren, which movie do you? Which role do you more connect him to? Do you connect him to Dallas and Alien? Or is Viper in Top Gun? Viper. Viper. It's such it's a small supporting not, role, yeah, but he's, yeah. he's Viper. Fucking Viper, man. No, he gets his moment uh, in Viper when he's in the in the third act with the, the one-on-one with Cruz at the picket fence. Ha, but no pun intended, picket fence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I also associate with him with Viper. But uh, I, I digress. It was just uh, funny uh, to me, I think, was uh, interesting that uh, he's known more for this. But yeah, he's Viper. To be fair to the, how the casting was done, they if you look at it, all the roles are unisex. I mean, it doesn't have to be. I mean, they're just a crew on Well, a that's ship. how they were written them yeah. uh, on, on the page. Uh, so that, that gave them flexibility in the casting. Uh, but, you know, once they did cast everybody, though, you know, really Scott, you know, he wrote backstories for each uh, actor to be able to help him prepare with, with the character, which I think is pretty badass. I mean, anytime the director is giving you something to work with, you know, like Tarantino giving uh, the, the, the Brad Pitt the, the misadventure chapter on Cliff Booth killing his wife. I mean, anything like that is going to help you fill in the space that they uh, help you inform your take on the character. I think uh, that's I, I love it when a director does something like that. Uh, that's what Scott brings to the table uh, and why this was not. You know, while, while we're still talking about the Alien franchise and it wasn't just another uh, B-horror film. It's always cool to watch an old movie and see all these faces we know, but at a time when they weren't who they would eventually become. So you watch and you're like, oh shit, there's a young Sigourney Weaver before she became a movie star and had that run in the 80s. Hey, I know that guy. That's Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, there's Yachikoto, a great character actor who would later star in Midnight Run, one of my favorite replay title movies we have yet to do. Uh, oh, look, there's Tom Skerritt, who, like we talked about, would star in Top Gun later. So a common thread with a lot of the amazing films we've covered so far. Really cool to see. Yeah. What this uh, Sigourney Weaver, was this her first role? A second movie. Uh, uh, she was okay. in uh, Annie Hall. That was her first film two, uh, gotcha. in 77, two years earlier. Yeah. Still fairly let's face young. It, she, biggest benefactor. Yeah. Fairly young. She was 29 when she did Alien. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she benefited from this movie. I'd say her and Ridley Scott were probably the co-winners of this movie because they both, I mean, this marked the arrival of Scott and it catapulted Sigourney Weaver into the uh, orbit of stardom. I mean, this film put her on the map. Well, it's an interesting point, though, is that, um, you know, she was 29, but you know most horror movies have like a early 20s kind of cast, and and the 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 cast in this film is notably uh, older. Than She's that. actually the youngest cast. Oh, really? Member. She uh, is yeah, the youngest. A lot okay. of them are uh, are older. I mean, uh, she, which sells it. the idea of the crew you know it makes it more believable in a sense i feel yeah, like that they're just they're they're like space truckers i mean they're they're truckers yes. in space yeah they're, they're, exactly they're, 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 they're just working to make a buck uh before we move on go ahead and anoint uh sigourney weaver uh, as the mvp she does give the most valuable performance i was really conflicted as we're aliens it's like dope her movie boom easy moving on it was like the easiest decision and this wasn't the case i was really torn uh, before I gave it to Weaver, I, I almost gave it to a in home as Ash. Uh, he's yeah, I mean, fucking ugh. great. Uh, he's just so so good. Uh, but th- you know why I didn't give it to him? There's uh, there's one moment where he comes off human, and it's when he's in the spacecraft and he's jumping up and down, warming himself up. That's that's the actor. Uh. That's not Ash. And so 
I just felt like if you, as great as his performance is, if you go back, there was a couple moments where I felt like maybe it was just a human being there. And at the end of the day, Weaver is the heroine. She's the, she's the fucking hero. She kills it. Uh, she's so assertive and takes charge. I mean, even how she tells the captain of the ship she's not going to let him in. I mean, she's by the book. She's a pro. Uh, you kind of just side with her right away just by how she carries herself. Um, I just love how uh, like how direct she is, and just matter of fact. Uh, at the end of the day, anyone else would be blasphemous. I mean, um, yeah, that's uh, true. You got to go Ripley. You got to go Ripley. Yeah. Uh, in home, end of the day, I'm giving him the you know the, the fucking six man or something. You know, he's, he's <laughs> right. getting the next award. He's so good. Uh, but he gave her some real competition uh, for this, uh, as were before. Uh, you know, because of the aliens, it's it's a lot easier to to, to give it to Ripley. But it's the birth of an iconic character. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest badasses in cinema history. Got to go Ripley. Well, plus, you know, the last 20 minutes of the film, it's pretty much just her, you know. So, uh, But I, I agree that Ash is, uh, is a worthy uh, second for that. Um, what's funny to me watching it going, going back after you know that he is uh, an android is there's a couple moments where you think like uh, – it's somewhat obvious, like when Parker tells him, he's like, hey, get up, you're in my seat. You know, he, he could just be telling him that because he's a robot. He doesn't know. He's like, okay, sure. Or, or it could be just like he's the science officer and he's picking on him. It's some sort of bullying thing. But like, you know, you could, I could see it going both ways. Um, but the reveal of yeah. the, the android, yeah. is, it, it kind of makes sense when you see the certain elements. But like what you were saying, where he's like jumping up and down, it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense. But. There's a couple times, and uh, even, I don't know. Um, it's the first Android performance I think I may have ever seen on film, uh, quite frankly, because I didn't see, like, 73 Westworld until after Alien, so I can't really remember seeing... A, 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 it, it might be, even though Alien's before our time, it might be the first Android I, I, I saw on camera. Um, well, what about weird science... Not technically an Android. No, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. Well, that's it's a lot. I'd, if you were going that way, no one, no one wants to deal with uh, with Ash. I mean, get the hell out of here. It's, yeah. it's a creep, creepy robot. Uh, okay, I, I want to ask a question about the cast itself. You know, <clears throat> obviously ensemble, but within that, I feel like you know sometimes you're going to knock it out of the park with like a Avengers Infinity War, where everybody gets their time and they can you know. They, they get their moment and it, you can carry the ensemble truly well. I don't think that's the case in this film. Who would you say is the most underutilized actor in Alien? Oh, wow. Um, Take your time. Most underutilized of the cast. I mean, you could say John Hurt because they kill him so quick. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but he's he's used well. I mean, yeah, 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 he's very effective in the time he's there. Um, who do they? I think Scott does such a great job, kind of going back and forth. And a lot of the time, the crew's together or they're in a group. Mm. Some of my favorite scenes is when they're just kind of hanging out and they have the, the camaraderie. camaraderie together. Yeah, sure. yeah, I really like that. So um, I think a character I would like to see fleshed out a little bit more would be uh, Veronica. Cartwright's character, um, uh, Lambert, Lambert uh, the navigator. Yeah. yeah, the navigator. Uh, that yes, that exactly. That's what I was thinking yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely would think uh, as great as this movie is, uh, a little bit she to she, make her a little bit more three dimensional. Well, just like that is, there are some 
Veronica Cartwright, to her credit, did what she No, I yeah, no, yeah, that's what I'm saying. She is underutilized. She's she's not given enough to do. That that's my point here. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's there are some if you if you watch the film now, there are some of those classic horror tropes that you pick up on. Uh, and one is this kind of you know damsel in distress type of yeah you know and and I, you can't I get the movie saying that because maybe the movie needed one because Ripley isn't so you got to have somebody okay. in that function maybe in the formula but I'm not I, I don't, don't think you question needed the master film, Ripley, yeah, I, yeah I don't think you needed it though so I I, I yeah. agree she there could have been more more could have been done with it be a little more fleshed out but I mean who like I said at, at the end of the day the movie's about a fucking alien uh, so it's not, it's, it's <laughs> not about right. the cat it's not about the seven crew members. Uh, so maybe, uh, but you know, Scott, he knows better than we. Uh, it's not buried sure. the lead here. Okay, fair enough. All right, stats and accolades of Alien release date. Um, well, I should say original release uh, was May twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine. Uh, only in ninety one screens. You know, the wide release method wasn't how it is today. Obviously, uh, however, the what you would call the wide release, which was six about six hundred uh, theaters was on June the 22nd of that year. Uh, on a budget of $11 million, opening weekend in only 91 screens, as I said, was $3.5 million. That's a lot of money for, for 90 theaters. Um, and then um, and when it did get the wide release, it, it made an additional $5.3 million. It was number one that week, uh, beating out Clint Eastwood's Escape from Alcatraz. Which is a pretty good movie, actually. So didn't say actually, fucking Clint Eastwood and uh, uh, the Don Siegel. Of course, yeah. it's a fucking great movie. It, it only beat that out by like twelve thousand dollars. It was like neck and neck for number one. There was only like three movies in the wide release back then. <laughs> that was <laughs> edged yeah, it out. Limited competition, right? Yeah, uh, domestically it would uh, in, in its original run go on to make a seventy eight point nine million. Um, now it has gotten several re-releases, uh, most notably a 2003 director's cut re-release that made about another two million. but overall, uh, to date, worldwide, it's pulled in 106.2. Now, uh, the, the director's cut, let's address this. Because, okay, okay, one of the, really, the first it. really Scott movie that we did was Blade Runner. Sure, and if you yeah. recall, we did the director's cut Blade well, Runner. Well, there's been like that, five. The, there's like yeah, that, the, so you got to pick the truth. There's like seven. Like the the right? final yeah, cut seven, or whatever. So you got to yeah. pick the final cut. It's the definitive version. So really Scott intended because he fought with the studio. He didn't get his way. Uh, this director's cut, that is not the case, okay? Uh, really, Scott was very proud of the movie in 1979. It is a classic. He did the director's cut for cash and for fun. <laughs> this, the studio came to him, and uh, they, they asked him to do it. He's like, ah, fuck it, why not? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not a big difference, okay? There's like, it's one minute shorter. Uh, he, he he changed the pacing a little bit, which is perfect. I mean, they cut some of the tracking shots, you know, some of the Mary Celeste long tracking shots. They, they He cut some of those. But he added two new scenes. Uh, the main one being uh, uh, Brett in Dallas fucking cocooned by the alien. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I mean, you, you wonder what happens to them. You just assume they're dead. Uh, but you know, I think they were originally cut because it, like it was, she came across them during like the when she was trying to escape, so it kind of killed the flow. And well, now I guess in the at least he fixed it because I guess the theatrical version, she's too busy looking for the fucking cat. <laughs> Jesus, I literally was like, Ripley, what are you doing? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Like, you're going to get that with any of these horror movies. It's like, 
What do you I think? Her friends, the last two crew members die while she's looking for the cat. Uh, and I think it's like, don't go up the stairs. Don't go back up the stairs. What are you doing? The killer's up, you know. It's like that moment in the the, class, the horror trope of going yeah. for the cat. Now, let me ask you this, Warren. Yeah. Were you in her shoes? Would you have gone for that for the cat? Let's say let's say it's not a cat. Let's say you're a dog person. Would you have gone for that dog? Well, here's the thing. You don't have to go. Here's why I love dogs. There's no hey, <laughs> hey you just whistle and you hey come here and they come to you. There's no running to find a dog. Dogs come right to you. They're happiest when they're at your okay. feet. So a dog, you're not in that situation. So, so, so maybe next time you're on a spaceship, you bring a fucking dog. <laughs> well, why would you bring a game? Maybe. So I, I I live in Kentucky, as most people know. Uh, we got hit by some tornadoes a few months ago, and we were in the affected zone. Weather was getting bad. We're you know my wife, my kids. We're we've got we've got a bearded dragon. We've got dogs. We're we're all grabbing everything we're trying to get to the basement where it's safe because we've got like the tornado sirens going off and everything we get everybody down there it's raining it's muddy kids are crying we're you know they're screaming everything's chaos and everybody's in except for one of our dogs is scared ran back up the steps to go to by the door and she's like and uh, kim <laughs> kim is like philip go get him <laughs> i'm like no, I'm not dying. No, it's not made of steel. I'm not fucking Papa Kent. I'm not dying for a fucking dog. I now, love my dogs. But that you're not that dying being for said, it. I did run up the stairs and go get him. He came back down and everything was fine and we were okay. But like in that moment, it's like, are you really going to go after the cat? A, a, a alien creature that has killed everyone that you work with is, is on a the list. A cat? Fuck no. no. Cat is a commitment. Yeah. You're going to spend 15, 20 minutes trying to find a cat. <laughs> and in that spaceship, okay, the spaceship is supposed to be 800 yards long. And then the commercial thing they're towing is supposed to be like a mile and a half long. Oh, wow. There's no fucking no. way I'm looking for that cat. Yeah. Put out, put some catnip. And if it gets that, on that the cat shuttle. Got, uh, cat got some people killed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got Brett. Yeah. yeah. Come on. It's true. Uh, speaking that's of deaths, true. we got nine uh, on the body count. Seven humans, one face hugger, and one alien. Uh, five by Alien and two by Ripley. Although, of course, we missed the director's cut. Ripley uh, ends up taking out Brett in Dallas, so she gets four kills in the director's oh, cut. Oh, taking that away And then Alien man. only gets three. So in the director's cut, Ripley <laughs> kills more people than the fucking <laughs> Alien. <laughs> well, uh, more people, is that's a damn. More, I guess... More creatures, more beings, uh, more life what, what forms, have you. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, what have you. Yeah. Um, and it got an R rating uh, in the U.S., an X rating in the U.K., and an M rating in Australia. But had they not made, as we talked about earlier, Ashes, Blood, Milk, uh, it definitely would have had an X rating uh, in uh, in the U.S. For sure. And I'm sure yeah. Scott made some other concessions on how he shot the film as well to avoid that. A lot of those kills are quick cuts. That yeah, that's oh uh, yeah. They don't really show much. It's more of like the horror elements. It's like all right, and they're dead. You know, it's just it's more the implication that they're dead. Yeah, the implica- implication goes a long way, especially in horror. Sometimes less is more, and uh, mm-hmm. Scott that plays that to great effect uh, in, in, in this picture. Well, I mean, we talked about the comparison of Jaws in space, and you go so long without seeing the shark and it leaning into that. Now, granted, that was a result of like you know technical issues with the shark but it, it, the same strategy was implored here the less is more you know the, the, your imagination wanders and the fear is 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 more present when you don't know where it is or what it completely looks like or how it's changed yeah and clocking in under two hours that contributes to the replay value you're in and out with the movie it's uh you're you know it's it's over before you know it um sure. 
I initially mixed reviews. Uh, now you go back, it's got like an 89 on Metacritic and a fucking 98, 98 on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Because it's all the critics, went, you know, it's like modern uh, reviews. But if you go back, it was initially mixed. Um, Siskel and Ebert did give it positive reviews back then uh, in their own respected publications. Pauline Kale ripped it apart, uh, said the movie was terrifying but not enjoyable, so effective that it turned her off from movies altogether, more or less. Is <laughs> wow. What a review implied. Well, I feel like the, the they, 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 it was, I guess, considered to be a good horror film, but didn't have like good characters or good story. I think was the consensus for critics at the time. Well, it just it's something different, and some you're not always going to have everybody on board with that. Um, I couldn't find anything by Andrew Saris, but uh, it, it was a mixed bag uh, when it came out in '79. And uh, do, what do you think? You think the critics got it right? I mean, it, obviously they didn't. It's fucking mixed, uh, and this should be universal acclaim. <laughs> Well, and we've talked about this. It's like, who gives a shit what the critics think? I mean, I know it helps to a degree, but when I watch movies now, I. Well, it mattered back then when we were growing up. Yeah, but, you know. Because we needed them to tell us what to go watch. Now we got, you know, a lot of uh, uh, sources, but back then you had a couple friends, maybe a critic or two you trusted. Yeah, I mean, so, and they've changed their minds because, you know, pop culture and how a movie is perceived is always going to win the day and how it uh, stands the test of time. Uh, awards of the film, uh, one Oscar win for Best Visual Effects and one Oscar nomination for Best Art Direction and Set Decoration, two BAFTA wins, and five BAFTA nominations. So in hindsight, I mean, obviously, you know, we know critics didn't applaud it and you know it's aged better uh, than when it originally came out, but... Do you think it was, would you say it was snubbed at the, in, at the Oscars or awards? Well, and, fuck yes. Yeah. Really, Scott's been snubbed his whole career. The fact that really Scott does not have an Oscar is just ridiculous. Uh, he should have been nominated for Best Director. No nomination. Now, the, to be fair, the competition was stout that year. Yeah, Coppola for Apocalypse Now. Mm. Bob Fosse for all that jazz. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was it a thick competition. In, in the editing, mm. well, you know, the pacing is is fantastic and the, how they cut it together. So Weaver gets her nomination in Aliens. And uh, to be fair, it's not really her picture until the last 15 minutes. So I don't think a Best Actress nomination is warranted for Weaver. Maybe yeah. a supporting it uh, at best. But you could even argue Ash is Best Supporting Actor. Now, uh, In Home would go on to be nominated in 81. So he got nominated a couple years after this. But it, this movie launched In Home uh, just like it did uh, Sigourney Weaver. But uh, Alien made him known to American audiences. Yeah, that, I think, I think uh, the gener- generations now more associate him with the as Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins in the the Lord of the Rings franchise. That's true, yeah. yeah. But I, I, you could see him potentially should have got nominated for this too. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, he, I feel like, does give a very good performance in the film. Uh, as mm. far as beginning to end, or close to the end, um, he is the strongest per, uh, character performance sure. by far. Yeah. The Grammy record of the year in 1979 was What a Fool Believes by the Doobie Brothers. What a jam. I love it. Uh, however, that was only good for number 19 on the Billboard Hot 100. Number one would go to a song that, I'm going to be honest, fucking sucks. Uh, My Sharona by The Knack. I hate that song. Uh, movies in 1979. Uh 
top of the box office and the best picture winner, Double Crown, Kramer vs. Kramer. Wow, okay. Uh, the uh, Dustin Hoffman Meryl Streep Sure, picture. yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two for the year, Amy DeVille Horror. Number three, Rocky Two. Number four, Star Trek, the motion picture. Uh, and uh, number six, Apocalypse Now. Uh, uh, some honorable mentions here. Uh, number nine, uh, Bond, uh, Moonraker, uh, Roger Moore Bond. And uh, number 14, we mentioned earlier, Escape from Alcatraz. Interesting thing about Star Trek uh, you know, coming out in you know, 1979, uh Jerry Goldsmith did the score of Alien, also did the score of, of Star Trek. So, uh, same person. Whew. It's like a John Williams or Zimmer, yeah. man. Just like, you have very prolific uh, composers. Uh, they just, they're just uh, going from one project to the next. One, one big, uh, high-profile movie to the, to the next one. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they just make one original the other. scores for yeah. so many films. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, average movie ticket in 1979 was $2.52 and adjusted for inflation, that's $9. So it's uh, not, not too cheap. Events of 1979, uh, the Soviets invade Afghanistan. Nothing really changes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, ESPN launches. It snowed in the Sahara Desert for 30 fucking minutes. That's crazy. Oh, wow. Uh, it, China instituted the one-child-per-family rule policy. Uh, that uh, uh, There's a good doc on Netflix that covers that, actually. Uh, I believe it was abolished in, like, uh, 2015, yeah, so it's still right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The 1979 Pittsburgh Steelers won uh, Super Bowl fourteen, their fourth Super Bowl, so the, the, the stamping of their, uh, their, their dynasty. Right. And then the Showtime Lakers... Uh, when their uh, first title, the f- first of four titles, uh, winning time uh, <laughs> uh, that year too. So it's like uh, the birth of one dynasty and the uh, the death of another. Yeah, I need to watch that on uh, HBO. I've heard it's oh, it's pretty so good. great. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. How are you not watching that right now? Well, I've got too much other shit to watch. Okay, I just finished Payment. Yeah, Tommy. I auditioned for that. I. Well, I mean, I just finished Payment, Tommy. And- my wife pretty much dictates everything. It's on the list, okay? I just auditioned for that, too. You rub it in my face? <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Well, you know, for two on those. If it makes you feel better, you're getting auditions for great shows, okay? <laughs> so they're really yeah, good. Well, it mean a lot more if I'm booking them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> born in 1979. Fuck you. Uh, born in 1979. Uh, Kate Hudson and uh, Heath Ledger. All right, let's move on to our best scenes and lines from Alien. Great horror film, as we've said. A lot of scary moments. What's your runner-up for best scene, Warren? My runner-up best scene is got to be the... Uh, it's the climax. It's it's basically the, the entire sequence were with Ripley when she sets the ship to self-destruct. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T-minus... Ten minutes. The option to override automatic detonation expires in T minus five minutes. And then goes to get in the escape pod, sees that the fucking aliens in her way, runs back to stop the self destruction, can't get it to stop, <laughs> and then gets on the. I mean, all that is fantastic. We're we're rooting for her to, uh, you know, to, to escape self-destruction, which uh, it, it's just, it's a, it's such a well-paced and well-directed sequence. Uh, uh, and it's, it's a thrilling conclusion to a great film. And uh, that's where Weaver really shines. I mean, she fucking 
carries the, that last 15 minutes, and you're like, whoa, man. And that's why I think we ultimately got a sequel, because we, we got to get two hours of that in mm. fucking Aliens. That's true, yeah. I mean... Uh, the, 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 the tension is so present in that moment with, you know, she's going to get the countdown and doing this and that and everything. And you figure to ship that size, there'd be one, like, one, a different pathing to get to the the, 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 the the escape shuttle other than just You the, think there'd be multiple routes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but, but a riveting sequence. I really mean, I, you're, it's so good. You know, what I want to know something is why is everyone so sweaty in that movie i mean they're just they're just so, so you look at the close-up so much sweat no, no air conditioning yeah. on that fucking thing Maybe. nothing well and i saw that you know in, in movies they it's not use, the starship enterprise <laughs> where they you know it's got carpet perfect and ac and kitchen again that's the love thing i love about it is you know it's got this industrial retrofitted feel whereas Star Trek, it's all you know, perfect, you know, polished. Or even like the the well, even in the earlier science fiction, it's one of the first films to kind of do that. I mean, a lot of sure. like two thousand one, where it's all pretty and clean, yeah, futuristic. But they used uh, glycerin and water to make everybody look so sweaty. But um, I did read that that uh, Sigourney Weaver had a, an adverse reaction to the glycerin water with sweat, along with the cat dander or the I guess the cat hair or whatever. Uh, she was allergic to it so if you look if you watch the film <laughs> she actually gets like less sweaty in certain moments because they stopped putting it on they her stopped so, putting yeah. it on her because of the reaction yeah. to it but like some some scenes though everyone i mean most scenes everyone's sweaty but anyway good choice for runner-up i do like that um my runner-up is uh, earlier on in the film uh when kane is investigating the egg this is completely enclosed and it's full of leathery objects like eggs or something. Yeah, man, he's in the derelict ship and you, that's really where the, uh, the the set design shines. Yes. Uh, particularly some of those shots and Geiger's uh, artistic uh, creations being like somehow Ridley's implementing them into the movie and that's just a great example there it's literally like a painting come to life yeah what's interesting is that the egg that they show in those scenes doesn't look like anything like the egg on the iconic alien poster that is somewhat still used to this day they use like a hen egg as a placeholder but you look at the film the egg is completely different but like it's just that the, the again classic horror moment where you're just like don't look over the edge. Don't. Why, why would you do that? Why, why? Why would you look over the edge to, to look in to see what is in there? Of course, the face hugger comes up and gets. You him. know, I would think. You know, it's so funny you said that because my reaction. Actually, John Hurt's a great actor, but when that thing opened up, I would have jumped back and stood up. You know what I mean? Like, remember when he's sitting next to it and it just goes, when it opens up, mm -hmm. he gets, I would have jumped back at that point. Uh, he actually just stays where he's at and then looks in. The fascination. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah, I would have jumped the fuck back. Sure, I think most people would. Yeah, you're right. Um, all right. Uh, John Hurt's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> he is. All right, moving on. What was your winner? And speaking of that bad motherfucker, my winner, the most iconic scene in the movie, you got to go chestburster yeah, scene, Yeah, that's man. my winner, too, yeah. Best friends. Yep. And the first thing that I'm gonna do when I get back is to get some decent food. You can dig it, man. I'm telling you, I'm eating birds food this, but then I taste it better. You know what I'm saying? You pound down the stuff like this. Uh-huh. And I'd rather be eating something else, but uh, right now I'm digging food. You just know you know what it's made of. I don't want to talk about what it's made of. I'm eating this. <laughs> What's the matter? The 
foot ain't that bad, baby. Okay. <laughs> you chill for Trump. Get him. And really, Scott said this. It made it made her break. It was going to make her break the movie. Uh, this it, it, the first time seeing it. It's so gripping, so visceral. I mean, we're forty five minutes in before this happens, before we get any real uh, action or really any real clue where this is headed. Uh, it's a slow burn start to the picture. Uh, but man, it's uh, it just grabs you. And uh, even watching it now, it's still very effective and looks real. Uh, talk about what's aged really well that that scene has. Well, from a tech standpoint, special effects. So they used an ar- artificial chest and torso and squibs, which are like the blood packets that shoot blood. But here's the thing. The actors knew, of course, what was going to happen in the scene. They didn't know that there was going to be all that fake blood. So in a, in a sense, the reaction is real, especially with Veronica Cartwright when she screams. I mean, she almost, I think, the story is she almost passed out because of that. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a real reaction that you're getting on camera from the actors. They did it in one take. They got that. And that is, no, they did favorite. it in two takes. Uh, the oh, first okay. take, well, the, uh, the alien didn't uh, b- burst through the shirt. <laughs> okay. Well, so they had to do it again. Excuse yeah. me. Thank you for the correction there. Asshole. Anyway. Hey, I, we'll do uh, your fucking research. Uh, okay. Well, you ruined the moment. Okay. Let, let's, yeah, let's yeah, let, well, let, well, let, well, let, I can't let that, uh, misstatement, right? Come on. Anyway, uh, as I was saying, that is my <laughs> that is my favorite part of that scene, though, is the silence of when it's all happening, going to shit. Everyone's like they were trying to scramble, put the spoon in his mouth and everything. But like once it starts happening, they're like, mm. what the what, what the fuck is going on? And it's just they're they're, they're just they're they're frozen uh, in silence uh, because they, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. So one of the best scenes, if not the best scene in the entire Alien franchise. Um, so I will, uh, no, no surprise there that we match up. Yeah. All right. Uh, any honorable mentions for you? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Got to mention uh, Brett being killed by the alien. It's the first kill by the full-grown classic alien. And it's just a classic horse scene, the way that it bitch stays. grew up fast, you know? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck, man? They got its vitamins. Like, what is it eating? It just grows naturally that fast. And I, you would think that when does it stop? It does it get to eight? It got to eight foot tall, but would it have kept going? Uh, yeah, I, that's true. Where does it max out? So, yeah, good point. Full grown pretty quick. Because uh, you think it wouldn't even been a threat until it's that big. Um, well, like I was saying before, it's just a classic horror scene. It's just the, the way it's staged, the way it's acted, the the, the way it's directed. Um, it, it's almost like a slasher movie in that scene. That's a, that's yeah, a slasher is. scene. Uh, and, well, and, like, we're spending too much time with this character. He's dead. He's going to die, you know. And, I, and the sets are fantastic, uh, but what the fuck? Is, how is there rain and sunlight coming through the spaceship? <laughs> I just did. I mean, look, I love the sets, but I I didn't get that. And I actually read that, like, the producers objected to it, but really Scott's like, no, I need more movement, and he just kind of trusted his gut. But it doesn't take you out of the movie. Well, but it you're doesn't like, have to be hell? S- sunlight per se now that it is a very that was a very wet room on a spaceship uh that that, that was a little surprising mm. but i mean it could have been light I mean, condensation that was falling down sure. or so yeah. i don't know but i anyway it's, it, it, but i tell you that looked more like a warehouse than a fucking spaceship That's all. <laughs> yeah. yeah all right uh any others for you uh yeah uh 
Kane in the infirmary when they cut the face hugger and we see acid blood for the first time. Mm, uh, okay. You kind of see what you're dealing with here. That crap's going to eat through the hole. That thing's going to eat through the goddamn hole. Come on. What's going on? This way. Very interesting wrinkle thrown in. Uh, very, uh, uh, had a lot of creative ingenuity there in the right. I mean, that's really interesting. Like, well, shit, we, this, man, we got a fucking problem on our hands. We can't just, you know, kill it. Yeah, I thing. love that they, like, like, they chase it through the different decks and everything to try to see. Yeah, see, it's gonna, it's gonna eat through the hole. You know, and they yeah. start running down and seeing, uh, and, you know, that's a mistake that the franchise makes later. A lot of the alien sequels, uh, fuck it up and don't play up that factor enough. Yeah, the danger. Uh, of I, it, I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I think the acid blood is a it really should be used a lot more. Um, so yeah, got to throw that in there. When they first wake up and they're eating and smoking together, still with us, Brett. Hey, yeah, oh, I feel dead. Anybody ever tell you you look dead? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. I just forgot something, man. Uh, before we dock, I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right, right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation has never been on a, an equitable level. Well, you get what you contracted for like everybody else. You know, like we talked about the camaraderie scenes earlier, we kind of like those. It's also the only time we see him and everything's okay. I mean, basically from this <laughs> point on, it just gets, when they get the transmission signal, they land on that planet, it goes, all, everything goes to shit. That's a pretty good one, so I'll give you that. I, none of them actually crossed over to my honorable mentions. Um, I, I had um, one here as the near the end of the film when uh, Ripley finally has access to Mother and is trying to figure out what the hell is going on and figures out the the protocol and you know the, the <clears throat> that kind of supersedes their mission. And just when the the it reveals that Ash is in on it, and just the pan is where he's like standing right next to her, like holy shit! It just kind of you're just like, oh my god! It's just that that fear that the killer is right next to you. There is an explanation for this, you know. And that's the thing is like, it's a great thing about this movie is that you know, for most of the time you're thinking oh, it's it is them, the crew versus the alien, you know, humans versus the alien. And now suddenly you've got this other uh, threat that's thrown into the mix, and so that that reveal there was um, was very good for me. I, I love that mm. that that surprise, that shock. Uh, and then my uh, last honorable mention here is um, when 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 you first begin to side with Ripley when she refuses to open the door for Dallas. Ripley. Right here. We're clean. Let us in. What happened to Kane? Something has attached itself to him. We have to get him to the infirmary right away. What kind of thing? I need a clear definition. An organism. Open the hatch. Wait a minute. If we let it in, the ship could be infected. You know the quarantine procedure. 24 hours for decontamination. It could die in 24 hours. Open the hatch. Listen to me. If we break quarantine, we could all die. Look, could you open the goddamn hatch? We have to get him inside. No. I can't do that. And if you were in my position, you'd do the same. Ripley, this is in order. Open that hatch right now. Do you hear me? Yes. Ripley, this in order. You hear me? Yes, I read you. The answer is negative. You can relate with what they're, they're, they're wanting to get in the ship. They're wanting to get Kane to the infirmary. But at the same time, the logic behind Ripley's decision to shut it down was just very telling about that character. Uh, and, and to me, oh, that yeah. gets the 
it gets the audience on her, her, her side um, because they, the, you know, what's coming. You know that that's how the alien gets on. And she was the only one smart enough to be like, whoa, 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 stop. Uh, and they, of course, didn't listen to their own uh, to their own detriment. Yeah, I, I, I should have ha- had that down as an honorable mention. I actually love that scene. It's probably one of my favorite, other than the, the climactic sequence at the end, that's probably my favorite uh, scene of Ripley's in the first two hours. Great Ripley scene, and then when she confronts Ash about it, it's like, listen, I'm, I was the commanding officer after so-and-so and so-and-so. You need to listen to me and, and do this, and, and, and he kind of deflects it off and everything, And but, you know, it, yeah. So um, good, good moment for her, but all right. So our best lines from the film, uh, pass it off back off to you. What's your runner up for best line? Uh, runner up is when Ripley is logging off. Uh, it's the classic uh, in the franchise. It, it's recurring from this point on, not only of Ripley signing off in future installments, but uh, uh, we get that in, uh, in Prometheus at the end too, to kind of bring a full circle. Final report of the commercial starship Nostromo. Third officer reporting. The other members of the crew, Kane, Lambert, Parker, Brett, Ash, and Captain Dallas are dead. Cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley. Last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off. Did have that as an honorable mention. Uh, so very good. Uh, my uh, <laughs> my runner-up may be the shortest uh, runner-up that I, or winner that I've had uh, in, in the history of this podcast. Uh, five letters, one word. It's in the middle of an exchange uh, with uh, Ripley, uh, Parker and, and Brett, um, <clears throat> when they're talking about, you know, Brett being the parrot, uh, but it, the, the, the actual runner up itself is his line in there that he repeats. And it is right. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had that as an honorable mention. Yeah. You okay. got to throw that in there. What I think we should do is just freeze him. I mean, he's got a disease. Why don't we stop it where it is? You can always get to a doctor when we get back home. Right. Whenever he says anything, you say, right, Brett, you know that. Right. Parker, what do you think? Your staff just falls you around and says, right. It's like a regular parrot. Yeah, shape up. <laughs> what are you so kind of parrot? Right. Oh, come on. Knock it off. I love that. Yeah, because, you know, I found <laughs> I found myself using that since I've, I've watched the movie again recently. It's just kind of a response to things. When I don't know what to say, instead of just saying, okay, I'll say, right. Uh, and I think I used it with you in a text earlier in the week and you didn't pick up on it or maybe you did and, and didn't say anything, but I was just like, right. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, it's kind of addictive to do that. All right. Uh, what was your winner for best line? My winner. This thing bled acid. Who knows what it's going to do when it's dead? Okay. That's surprising. That was your winner. Now I will give you, um, uh, well, yeah, just kind of putting things into context. So it's like, it's like, holy shit, they got a problem. Yeah, you know, and, and, and to be honest, uh, there's not a lot of gr- you know quotable lines. This in This movie film. is not very quotable. It's not like it's, you not. Know, it's just it's not, a lot of great scenes and not a lot of great lines. Yes, exactly. In a, in a movie that definitely has high replay value, it's not because it's highly quotable. Well, it's just I mean, it is what it is, and it doesn't have to be to have high replay value. Um, 
My winner, though, uh, is one near the film, into the film by Ash when, you know, they've killed him and it's just his head coming through the table, which, you know, when they go to light it on fire, that's one special effect that does not age well. It looks like, looks like, sh- <laughs> looks like shit. <laughs> but when they actually have Ian Holmes' head coming through the table and he's talking, uh, my, my winner is the last line. That's a says. great visual effect. That's an amazing uh, visual effect that they pulled oh, off. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, it is. It I is almost had that-, that as an honorable mention scene. It's almost like my honorable mention shot because I love that shot of how they set that up, how they had it coming out of the ground. It was uh, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a, a kind of a, the classic head through the table looking like it's a decapitated. I mean, that's how they achieved it. What I'm talking about that doesn't age well is after that where they show him, they show them like using the flamethrower on it, and it's like looks like this real shitty puppetry, I don't know, paper mache, whatever head. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. look good. It's like, but my best line is what he says. But before they unplug him and light his ass on fire, it, it's when he's talking about um, them going up against the superior species. I can't lie to you about your chances. But you have my sympathies. Yeah, I almost had that as an honorable mention. Very, very. That's worthy. the honorable mention. It's the best line of the film by yeah, far. I like Get it. out of yeah, here. I like it. All right. Uh, you were talking uh, about things that didn't age well. We got it. I got one other thing. When Dallas uh, apparently tr- loses video transmission, he flips around and you see the alien. He's a the alien's apparently reaching to grab him. Like what the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> it's a weird shot. Maybe you have the actor yeah. do a different position. I don't know. It looked a little too human there. Well, I think again that's part of the reason that they showed the alien in its full form as little as possible because it, at the end of the day, you do have a human in a suit, and it becomes harder to execute it in that that capacity. Well, it really becomes evident at the end when it gets blown out of the spaceship, and then it tries to get into the jet and uh, of the engine uh, of the spacecraft before. It, Ripley blows it out into deep space. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a clinging up against the spaceship. Definitely looks like a dude in a suit. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the fear is still there, but you're you're right. It does. <laughs> More like something off the Tool uh, Lightless <laughs> album. <laughs> that's an insult to Tool. Um, yeah, Tool's amazing. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. I mean, As is this movie. So yeah, they both go hand in hand. But yeah, I mean, the, the HR Geiger is, is evident and both as far as the inspiration which oh, for sure i did see that speaking of musical inspirations for for with using hr geiger do you know that 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 uh famous mic stand that jonathan davis from corn uses was designed by hr geiger you know what i'm talking about it's like the aluminum steel oh, oh we, yeah i've seen it live yeah it's yeah. fucking sick yeah yeah absolutely. same guy who we, designed corn a couple times together yeah, that's what i'm saying yeah, but he yeah. he uses that mic stand that was oh, that's cool same guy who did alien I, designs, I, I, yeah. I didn't know that damn yeah. i think i knew that and i forgot it so yeah. it's still badass badass um all right uh so real quickly though did you have honorable mentions for best lines uh, uh only a couple honorable mentions Maybe I should have left him outside. Maybe I've jeopardized the rest of us, but it was a risk I was willing to take. It's a pretty big risk for a science officer. It's uh, not exactly out of the manual, is it? That exchange between uh, Ripley and Ash. Yeah, really love that. Love that. Again, kind of gives us some insight into Ripley. Very, very uh, well-written uh, sequence there. Uh, but it's just that exchange between them. And my last honorable mention is... Uh, this son of a bitch is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. 
<laughs> Again, Parker. Parker, putting shit in perspective. You know what? Of all the characters, I'm with Parker, man. Parker's my guy. Well, why was a Parker MVP? He would have been a worthy, worthy choice. No, I'm just saying character-wise, it's like if I have to, if I, any guy I relate with the most. Oh, uh, by the way, Phil, can we talk about the bonus situation? <laughs> oh, the well, you know, yeah. Well, uh, you, you, you bring that up in between seasons. That's your uh, that the, during that. That's okay. when we talk about your contract. I, I'm just line. saying. Say, all right, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, he got this role is because he was a Bond villain. Uh, I'd seen that, you know, so like that, he was like really, he oh, like, yeah. he like turned one down the, other one of the film. few good Roger Moore bonds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like Roger Moore. You know, you know. I like Roger Moore. I don't like him as Bond. Okay. I said it. All right. You're wrong. He's a good. I was bond. going on a Bond marathon. I lost. I, it's like I blew through the Conneries and then lost steam in the Moors. Well, I mean, he was Bond like six or seven times, but he is. He's a seven. He's a. He's a. He's okay, Bond. You know, it's all right. it's, he's functional. Spy who loved me is good, but other than that, that's all right. Uh, uh, back on track here. Uh, my my only uh, my only honorable mention was uh, an exchange between Kane and your favorite Parker. Uh, when that when he says, "How you doing?" Oh, terrific. Next silly question. <laughs> it, it, it's when he first gets the face hugger off of him. Everybody's yeah. just. I think everybody yeah. is just so alarmed by the weirdness of the situation. They're desperate to get back to some normalcy and have the crew back together. Yeah, it's like again, they're just letting him after he had that thing off of him sit with him, like they're not keeping a distance and eat. So have we learned yeah, nothing from uh, COVID? I mean, I mean, <laughs> they sit there and eat at the table with Jesus. everybody. Jesus, oh, because it's in the future. Oh Christ, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, fair. no, but you would even think then, I mean, they're in space, man. That's the thing. They're in absolute isolation yeah, out there in deep space. There's no outpost. There's no hospital. Like you got to fucking, you got to stick to protocol. I mean, even at that point, Ripley is eating with them too. So I mean, everybody's kind of a dumbass in that moment. Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court, where Warren and I recast the film with today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding. Gentlemen. You may be seated. Recasting court is in session. Loving the notes on this one, guys. You know, you, you get a new new season, which means you, you get fresh pick, right? Yes. You, everything is on the table. Everyone is on the table again. I- and uh, from the notes I've read on this, you guys... You guys said, screw it, we're going all in. So I can't wait to jump into it. Go big or go home. That's right. That's right, yeah. That being said, we're going to hear recasting for Brett, Lambert, Parker, Kane, Ash, Dallas, and Ripley. Now, Warren wanted to include the alien and recast the alien. I was like, you dumbass. What? No, <laughs> I know. We're not, we're not going to include the alien. But, I mean, when I thought of the alien, there's no one else you could cast. Other than what, what Now, it'd be Doug Jones, right? Yeah, it's but one. then you're Shape wasting. Shape of Water, Silver Surfer. Of course. But you're wasting Doug Jones at that, at that Doug, You're point. not wasting I mean, Doug Jones playing alien. It's a worthy, uh, worthy expenditure but I mean, I, I of the get actor. It. I get it. I mean, what's next? You're going to recast the voice actress for, for Mother? You okay. Know, the computer, All right. So. Okay. Well, look. I just uh, they had an actor play the alien because even though it was the first movie to make us uh, the monster look like it wasn't a man in a suit, it I, was a I fucking know. man in a suit. So Doug it, Jones is right. the I'm best in the business. It's not worth it, but you know you got the you got. I mean, it's the gold the standard. If you're if you're okay. doing CGI acting, you're gonna have Andy Circus in there, right? And come on, uh, that that's it's a good point. Yeah, and 
with that being said, I'm just going to let Phil start the season. Warren. I won last season. He did win last season, technically. So, but. Yeah, I should. Uh, yeah, 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 come on. I, I get the I'm ball. I'm just letting you take it first because. Carry over. You got to give no, the little brother a little. Not, little he does not uh, carry over. And since you wanted to recast the alien, Phil's starting us off. Phil. Okay. <laughs> Fuck you both. I like it. I like Phil. <laughs> who is your Brett? Brett is a character that's. Very dry, not a lot of charisma there. I, I, he just kind of the parrot, if you know, so to speak, of of Parker. Just follows him, and I think of the first crewmate to to actually die. Well, you uh, take away Kane, but um, after the alien actually is out out and about in the ship. So going with someone that personifies that, I've loved him in uh, the Spider Man films as a teacher, Silicon Valley, Freaks and Geeks. I went with Martin Starr as my Brett. Warren, who do you have here? All right. Well, uh, Samuel Brett, uh, this is uh, one of the most likable guys on the ship, uh, and I think Phil nailed it with the dry humor. Uh, that that is uh, that is Harry Dean Stanton, and that is Brett. Uh, for my Brett, I think this is a worthy follow up uh, and recasting of the character Woody Harrelson. Woody, okay, uh, yeah. You just I can even picture him. And, well. Brett gets his, what, 15 minutes in this movie with that great suspenseful scene where he's killed by the alien. I could see Woody Harrelson doing that, you know, putting his face in the water with the hat and, and just kind of looking for the cat. A little too comfortable with his surroundings, uh, more more so than he should be. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, Woody's very charismatic to me, so it's tough for me to see him as Brett. I, I love Woody, though. He can do it all. So I, I, can't, I can't necessarily fault you for he's it. He's pitch perfect on the humor, though. Like Harry Dean Stanton nails the humor. Woody has that same pitch perfect comedic talent. Okay. I love it. Um Way to bring uh, Woody in early. I think uh, think you should have kept him in your back pocket, though. Martin Starr is going to take this one. <laughs> yes. No, that's good. The dry humor man is where it's at. I, I, I'm telling you. Yeah, but I mean, but this is the Brett has seen some shit. Okay. <laughs> well, what's I mean, well, fucking Martin Starr is right out of college. What are, are you, you talking kidding about? me? No, not baby anymore. Face. You, you get that out of your head. He's not. No, but he plays younger. He plays younger characters. I mean, compared to Woody, come on. My my Brett's seen some shit. Okay. So every man, it's working class. <laughs> okay. All right, keep it going, Phil. Who do you have cast as Lambert? Lambert was actually the most difficult recasting for me, just just because there's not a lot there with the character. It's it's more of like a damsel in distress. I mean, just I, I feel like this character would be completely different if the movie was made again today. Um, uh, so it, I, I more leaned into the horror element um, as someone that could, I think, bring more to the role from that perspective. In, in a sense, you're more the audience's gateway into the film that I, that would be like the character, the audience I say, I would say would, would be, would be, have their point of view. Uh, that being said, I went with Kaylee Cuoco, uh, big bang theory. Uh, she's in that new show. It's about the flight attendant. Well, we, we cast an alien, the TV series. What are we doing? Well, hey, you know, we? the, the actress that originally <laughs> played it, um, you know, she's, hey, Kaylee's great. I'm just saying, I just, I don't she's, she's see her doing a lot of TV. So, and there you go. Good point with the character though. A very, poorly written character um uh, just uh, very reactive and you got to give credit to the actress veronica cartwright in the original alien she plays everything to the height of the meeting a lot of emotion not easy for an actress to do and she does um for my joan lambert i thought of uh you know uh just a couple of actresses i'm really digging the work right now uh, lily james uh recently pam and tommy she's just so capable of a transformative actress but she's not quite right for it i went with amanda seaford uh who is 
just has so much range, so much talent. Uh, Mank uh, coming off the Oscar nomination a couple years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and then she's headlining her own series here on Hulu. Uh, I think she would uh, bring so much uh, uh, to the character and probably fill in uh, the, the character and, and, and bring a little more life, flesh it, flesh it out a little more. I mean, it's such a minor character. You're, you're wasting Seaford. She's too good for this. Sorry. No, not at all. And Alien, you're going to have an ensemble, and you're going to have name actors. Uh, pl- There's only seven principal actors in the fucking movie. Yeah. They, they all get their well, Don't time. forget about the alien. you got to recast him, too. I mean, it doesn't really become Ridley's hey. movie till the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Warren, uh, you, you did see this movie, right? Because, you know, in Avengers, they cast all these huge names because they keep surviving. So they show up in the next movies moving forward. But in this one, no. Uh, well, have I you seen Scream? Drew Barrymore dies in the first 10 <laughs> minutes. Does. It's all yeah, the more effective. You know what? He's got you there. He's, he's, he's got, <laughs> that being he's said. He's not wrong. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I don't know who's picking this film up. Warren's got Woody Harrelson and Amanda Seyfried in. I'm going with Amanda Seyfried. I love the casting. Yeah, I love yeah, her. I can tell you, every studio, there's a bidding war for the studios on You're this one already. Her. With my with my talent here. I think I think Warren's a whole objective in this episode was to win every casting. So he's just yes. trying to get him out there. He just, he's we're, like, we're yeah, gonna, screw it. They're going to get him out there. We're going for all the Oscars. Yes, this movie was snubbed. <laughs> and we're, we're, this movie was snubbed. You got snubbed, 22 episodes. Oscars, box office. You got 22 episodes. And you save some of these names now, Cats. I'm saying. All right, Warren, hit us. Who do you got for Parker? Uh, Parker. Uh, and man, the character that I empathize with the most. I love he's Parker. All, can, can we go over the bonus situation? Can we, can we talk about that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's the everything. Um, you, you identify with him because you're like, yeah, that's – this this guy's actually thinking about real world stuff here. He, he that's yeah. what he should be caring about. He's 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 a he's a worker. He's he's not a he's not an adventurer. Okay, the guy's not out there as an astronaut fulfilling a childhood <laughs> that's a means dream. To he's an out end. there to yeah. get paid. Yeah. Um, he didn't even want to go. Remember, he's arguing against uh, w- with Ash and the crew about even stopping and answering the the transmission. He wants to just go home and get paid. Yeah. And you know, of course, they warn him that if he doesn't participate, he'll forfeit his share. So he has, he has to. Um, Assertive, sharp, uh, pretty much the muscle. I feel like there's a few scenes where when shit kind of goes down, the rest of the crew looks to him like, hey, Parker, get the incinerators. <laughs> you know, yeah. Got to look to him. Um, so with my Parker, uh, I thought of Dave Batista at first, just, you know, because he's been in muscle, all these big movies, sure. a big, you know, a great actor. Uh, but I went with Brian Tyree Henry. I love him in Atlanta. Uh, he's coming up big in uh, feature films. He was in Eternals last year. Not my uh, favorite movie, but uh, yeah, I think it would be pitch perfect as Parker. You know, he is uh, Eternals is actually not bad. Give it. I mean, you have to give it like. 15 20 minutes but it, it's good uh he was yeah, also I stopped watching it after 15 or 20 minutes <laughs> okay but well, he is yeah, I, I do i've it. seen worse uh but no he uh he is so good in fact uh, in this role that i also had him as my parker again what did we just become best friends yep yeah the thing is though is that you know you look at a guy who's just like he's he's tired of everybody's shit uh, he doesn't really want you want to be there, like you said. He's just trying to get home, and uh, Brian he personifies that. All right, Warren, keep it rolling. The uh, first death scene, I think any of the people on this planet our age will vividly remember forever. Yeah, who is your Kane? Thomas Kane, um, the alien's first victim, the first victim of the franchise. So, mm-hmm. somewhat iconic uh, casualty here. Um, I thought of Donald Glover. 
But no. I, I had to go with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I, I had to go with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I feel okay. like he's uh, a perfect uh, when they drop him in to investigate. Uh, it, we're we're kind of you're right there with John Hurt uh, through that opening scene. You know, until the uh, face hugger bursts through his uh, astronaut helmet and and. and you know, he's got a serious problem on his hands, but I, I think uh, Joseph Ward Levitt would be would be great. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, <laughs> there's like this, I know, there's this elegance and grace that John Hurt brings to the role, this type of um, gravitas, so to speak. Um, that I don't know if Gordon Levitt's the right, quite the right mm. fit for it. Um, you know, he's a. Uh, no, there's because he's like a this, competent officer, but he's not a leader. No, you're right. He's competent, so he, but there's he's like never an elder be a captain, statesman. He's a second officer. There's like an elder statesman quality. Like even though Hurt, I think, was on his his late 30s, there's he's an elder statesman older. quality to Samuel Brett, and you ended up going with uh, Martin Starr. What are you talking about? No, there's not. He's like a maintenance guy. What are you talking about? Yeah, he definitely <laughs> had. He's, uh, come on, dude. dude, dude. Um, Everything okay, stands so, like 80 in that. <laughs> anyway, so Mike, Mike Kane, I went with David Tennant. A uh, little bit of a Doctor Who connection. John Hurt was the war doctor. Uh, you know, David Tennant played uh, Doctor Who, but he's just got a, a dramatic range to him where he is, you know, during the scene with the chest burster, you know, he has the dramatic physical acting, but at the same time can carry the gravitas, like I said, of uh, of a lieutenant in the crew, of, of the elder statesman. A lot of, I feel like there's a lot of stage acting in the way that the the alien comes through. There's a little over action to Kane that kind of makes him how he does certain things and all that. I love the JGL on this one. Joseph Gordon. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. I love that one. All right. Yeah, man. Okay. Got to go with the steady hands. These guys have been in franchises before. Okay, we're not messing around. This is Alien. All right, Warren. Alien, who is your Ash? My Ash uh, came to me pretty quickly. Uh, this is the, essentially the second uh, uh, secondary antagonist uh, of, the, of the movie uh, revealed in the third act. Um, a quiet, logical, kind of inherited first, but is what's interesting about this character is that his actions carry a lot of consequence later in the franchise because this leads to Ripley's uh, very deep... Uh, uh, distrust of androids moving forward and we mm-hmm. see that with bishop and the alien sequels and bishop's actually pretty cool fucking dude uh but you know he's he ends up being a good android um ash is the rotten uh, apple of the bunch uh but i went with uh, as my ash the dark knight blade runner 2049 he was in dune david desmulchin i love him he's so good i mean he's he's uh, he was actually, yeah, the Dark Knight. He was played one of the the kind of the crazy. He's the one in the back of the ambulance that has uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Rachel Dahl's name tag on, and Harvey Dent drives him off to a location to like you know beat information out of him before you know Batman stuff. I, I love him in the Ant Man films too. He's like one of the the, the crew there too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's in that too. Yeah, Shit, yeah, he's very good. Uh, not a household. He's also name. polka dot man. Polka dot man. Yes, in the the Suicide Squad. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. He's great in that. He's very good. A small role doesn't, you know, spoilers, but <laughs> he kills it with the small roles. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so the Android quality, I think is key, you know, playing the science yeah. officer and, and having that robotic nature. Cause the whole thing with Ash is that it doesn't reveal he's an Android until the end. But when you see it, you're like, okay, I, I make sense. I could totally buy that. You, you're, it's surprising, but it's not unbelievable. Um, and actually, 
I, we you know we did Aliens back in season three, but the, the sequel, you know, James Cameron's uh, sequel to this. Yeah. And so I was after I did my recastings, I kind of looked back and I was like, well, who was our bishops? Because I didn't want to like you know taint it or whatever. And I'd pick Damian Lewis as my bishop. Not bad. Uh, you won, however, with Jude Law as your bishop. The far better choice. I actually had picked Jude Law for my ash in this film. Mm. So I was going to tell you how you're picking low-hanging fruit with the uh, with the, the AI, but uh, if, since I did it, I'm like, can't really it. You got you you, you to credit me for it. <laughs> Don't even try it. Bit. That's right. T- it's stealing out of my playbook. It worked. Uh, you know, I, I've, uh, in Fucking hindsight, Nick though. saving over here. Jesus. In hindsight, though, it was a, it was a great pick. I, I love uh, I love Jude Law for this, guys. You, you both know that. Good cast. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, Warren, you can't say anything. Don't even try. I can't definitely can't because it even goes with my. I tend to like uh, you know I like to sprinkle stars in my movie, and you, that's a star, man. Yeah, wow. uh, Ian Holm, uh, you know, it was great in it, but I see Jude Law. Now, I, I do want to give you credit for the David Small Child. I think that's the first time we've actually recast him in what now five seasons. He's phenomenal. He's you know I, lo- I love. If him. I have a sci-fi movie, he's getting cast somewhere in there. He's somewhere in there. And, you know, I-, I could almost see him as. Yeah, I could see him as Brett or maybe a, a, a I don't know. He he would be in there somewhere. You're, you're right. Warren, you typically get rewarded for uh, for stretching. And um, man, I'm just so glad that uh, Phil got the Jude Law one on that one. But great stretch on your part. It was. Great it was stretch. Ill-timed against Jude Law. It's just one he's not going to win. Keep it rolling. Dallas. Phil? Well, uh, I used this person last year in my season premiere. Uh, miscast him as um, as Batman, Bruce Wayne. Um, uh, but I recently wah, saw wah. I recently saw him in uh, in Pam and Tommy uh, playing the uh, titular Tommy Lee, Sebastian Stan. He's got that captain quality to Damn, him. Damn, you use him every year. I love him. Like, do, do, you, do you found the Sebastian Stan fan club on the internet? I mean, Jesus Christ, Philip. I mean, you yeah. throw him in roles <laughs> that he's just not right for constantly. Are, no, he would be right for this. Yeah, you do. You sandwich him into movies. It's, it's not a sandwich. Jesus. This is a good fit for him. You I'm going to tell your wife about this. This is she, a, you're, you're she, out of line, She recommended counselor. it. What are you talking about? Okay, she's like, whatever. yeah, he's good. We watch Pam and Tommy. She would be fine <laughs> with me putting him okay. in anything. All right. Even her, but that's the that's besides the point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Sebastian Stan though is he play a, 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 a great captain because you know in the film Dallas is he's the captain, but you know, what they were they were like on a resource mission. He's Dude. not like a okay a captain. He's a do- terrible captain. He. he, he his decision to allow yes, Kane back saying. on the ship instead of quarantining get, dooms the entire crew. He's not like a wartime captain. I mean, he's this, laid he back and indecisive. Now, sure, he does. He he's a conf- this character's actually got a little bit of layers. He's conflicted because he does have a heroic quality where he goes in the tunnel, but then he wants to get the fuck out of there once he realizes what he's dealing with. <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. I, I that I've I felt Sebastian Stan was was for perfect for that. Who I think's even more perfect, Oscar Isaac. Talking about playing the different uh, conflict of like trying to be heroic in the one moment, but he's really just like not a good captain and maybe a shitty person. I, uh, I, I think, and Oscar <laughs> Isaac is a guy in charge. I mean, you're you could easily see him being in charge of the ship. Uh, throw have, having the beer that the Tom Scarrett's rocking. Uh, Oscar Isaac all the way. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see him though as like, yeah, of course, Poe Dameron. Honorable from, mention, I, I considered Sterling K. Brown. Uh, honorable mention. Oh, that's good too. I like him. That would have been very yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Another person that can, he commands authority. 
the reason I ended up going to Oscar Isaac because he's kind of a shitty captain. If he was a better, like a more heroic character, I probably would have plugged in Sterling. There's there's a certain like boring command, you know, that, that's time frame put in their captain's hands, right? So there's just a there's there's something that feels a little off. On the Oscar Isaac one here, what? I'm, I'm gonna have to go Sebastian Stan. I need my captain. Don't reward yes. him for that. You yes. keep you keep using him. Yes. Listen, I love. It's the only time I've cast him in one. Give, give this to me, please. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the fan club needs it. Okay, they need that juice. All right, RT, you're enabling him. I just want you to know on the record, you oh, well, both. Hey, listen, well, you're out of order. Is, this whole courtroom's out of order. The good thing is, is that. I can only use him once a season. So no. episode one, he's gone. You don't have, uh, to, you don't have to think about him until episode Jesus. one of season yeah, six. Yeah, you'll probably okay. roll him out then, too. All right. Uh, so score, let's get it updated. Phil's got three. Warren's got two. You guys have a tie, which is a push. Ripley, of course, is a tiebreaker, so it couldn't be more important that you get this one correct. Phil. It's not a tie. It's not a tiebreaker if I'm in the lead. Well, well, no, I'm in the lead, and he was saying that this oh, would okay. be the tiebreaker. No, you know. Come so on, if get, you win together. this, then you guys oh, okay. are tied, and this okay. one would be the tiebreaker. You know how points work. You got to slow down a little bit. Math is hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not my strongest subject. Jesus, guys, come on. I'm like, what are we doing? Okay. It's not going to matter because I've got this one locked. So here's the win right here. So I originally thought. Yeah, there's always going to be a little bit of recency bias during the recastings. I just watched Free Guy, just hit Disney Plus recently, and I, I finally watched it. Loved it. Great movie. Um, potentially a future replay value film. Jodie Comer is great in it. Almost put her as my Ripley. I feel like you could see her as someone carrying the franchise. However, I also just saw The Batman, and Zoe Kravitz is just so good in that, and is just the the heroine that could carry a film. I mean, she is the best part of the Batman. I enjoyed the Batman. She's a, a shining moment in it. She's my Ripley. She's my franchise uh, lead. Lock it down. Yeah. Uh, obvious candidates here real quick. Uh, Scar Joe, of course. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, Jolie Theron. Their names are in the hat. Uh, smart, brave, takes charge. No bullshit. Zendaya, anybody? Did thought of her? Yeah. Alicia Vikander okay. thought of her. But I'm gonna have to agree with Philip on this one. I too also went with Zoe Kravitz. We've known about oh, her really? for a long time. <laughs> Man, yeah. Again? What? Did we just become best friends? Not just a friend, a partner. Great actress, but she has taken it to the next level with the Batman. Uh, you, she's arguably the best Catwoman we've had on the big screen. She can do anything. Uh, if they're booting, if they're rebooting the Alien. Uh, Kravitz is uh, she's in contention for Ripley. And, and you know, Ripley's somewhat of a Catwoman herself with Jones. You know, kind of chasing chasing the feet that feet. I think down. a little so too much concern with the cat. Uh, I was like, what the fuck are you? Get the hell out of there! Too yeah, too 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 much time on the cat. Phil, I am a golden god. That's right. Starting the season strong. 
dub for Phil. Well, you're gonna over fucking here. need it. So you know, if it's Sebastian <laughs> Stan, <laughs> what do. you're gonna lead him with, and I feel really good about my chances. He's off the board for you. So uh, yeah, you're you got 21 more that's, episodes. That's fair. I'm just that's looking fair. forward to it and mark it down in your calendars for the day that he gets to use Sebastian Stan against you. Yeah. See, season six, episode one, a year from <laughs> the market day. Well, yeah. What, 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 what about Doug Jones? Doug Jones doesn't push me over the top or anything. I don't get some bonus points for that. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Uh, no, because <laughs> I would have done the same thing, but you no, don't waste them. Save them. Gentlemen, recasting court is adjourned. All right, fan theory time. A quick one. I mean, you look at the Alien franchise as a whole, there's a lot of fan theories that you could delve into. So I'm trying to go specific to this film itself. Um, and my favorite one that I came across kind of surprised me i didn't think about it but it makes a little sense and that is that the cat jones is actually an android just like ash what no, you're no you're overthinking it you, we're going to the astro plane here what are you what are you talking about <laughs> well here's the thing why doesn't the alien have any interest in the cat i mean bread is there maybe it's because it's a bigger target it's meteor but like how can the cat survive the, without getting... The, the alien is eight foot tall. It's not nimble it's enough gonna to eat be anything. after a cat. No, <laughs> there, there, there's no fucking way this fucking eight foot tall fucking uh, thing's going to be able to run down a cat, okay? And the only time he even sees the cat is when he, like, sees it in the case and he, like, looks down at it, the alien. But it's probably the alien. He probably didn't know how to open the case. You know, it's kind of like... A, it's like, like that's going to stop time open the packages. alien, like, literally Ripley's Dude, just people, like... Oh, he's not going to take his time with it. He's going to open the box. Let me put this down and run off to go stop the self-destruct sequence and then come back and the cat's unharmed. It's because the alien didn't perceive it as a life form. It was just like, moving on. I don't care. No, he saw it as a life form. I just don't think he saw it as serving his purpose because obviously we, in the again, in the director's cut we see. And remember, even with Dallas and Brett, there's no blood, there's no body. And we do see that even in the original cut, the alien did have a greater purpose with some of these kills. And the cat didn't serve his agenda. So that's why the alien didn't fucking kill it. Yeah, but I, the, the, the cat is not a fucking robot. The cat was in a case. It was a well-protected enclosed case. And the alien hadn't had any cats or pets. And he didn't know how to open the fucking Petco 20... <laughs> Thirty-five, like the twenty, the twenty-three hundred fucking year fucking case. I don't think you're giving the, the alien enough credit here that it couldn't open a case. I, mean, I think there was some validity to it, and I'm not saying it can be proven or disproven alien either really, way. Get, alien isn't really proven to be super smart until the later pictures. Uh, like aliens, Cameron makes it smarter. Well, I mean, it's smarter than a human. Smarter than seven humans. Well, six of the seven humans, anyway. No, it's, well, it's not smart. It just fucking kills them because they fucking wander into deep, big, big, empty areas of the fucking ship where it's hanging out. Apex Predator. Okay, listen. I can Apex Predator uh, some yeah, cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not not a fucking... The cat is not... They they, they, they couldn't do that. What is this fucking uh, Blade Runner now where the fucking... Uh, where only real animals are rare? Well, you that, that's what fucking, I'm saying. A, it's a, just like, an yeah. An animal they, pet? Yeah, well... A, a, a fucking uh, a robot pet? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you have the owl and Blade Runner. I mean, you know, the, it's been stated that these no. these are the same universe. No. Blade Runner and Alien exist in the same sure. universe. You can have an android cat. You can't tell me I'm wrong. We'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of Alien. Uh, look, one of the all-time great films uh, and uh, considered one of the greatest science fiction horror films ever made. 
not being hyperbole there, it is what it is. Uh, and, and stating that about this movie, so influential to so many other films. And we all know about the ripoff genre that, that, that it creates, you know, like its own ripoff genre like Jaws did. We talk about Jaws again. Sure. There's been so many movies made in the spirit that just copy Alien. But I, you look at its impact. I think its biggest one has been on the, the the horror genre specifically, and a lot of the tropes that it popularized and just kind of made uh, common. The Final Girl, which we talked about a little bit earlier, first with Halloween, and uh, but this brought a lot of prominence to it in a science fiction horror film to have it. Lost in Space, like we talked about, where they're all completely isolated from humanity. It's just like seven people by themselves. That has been uh, used a lot in horror films to, to use that approach where you just have people by themselves. The, we talked about the, the, the futuristic realism, the dirty spaceship. A lot of the science fiction stuff before is like super clean, super white, super uh, shiny. And uh, th- this just kind of threw that out the window. Now when you watch science fiction, it's very common for spaceships to have that kind of real world torn down gritty feel like uh, when you watch interstellar same thing mm. yeah, that's a good point i mean you know we talk about the the we mentioned in the past the classic horror tropes that this movie leans into well this was made in 1979 so you know how much were those tropes already established and how much did alien help to establish them and we just take them for granted now in pop culture um, I mean, for sure, it had an impact on the hot horror sci-fi genre in, in, in that that sense. Uh, one, you know, being that let's step away from sci-fi films or horror films as uh, as they relate to sci-fi being the B movie level, and let's elevate the platform, let's elevate the genre. Alien is a direct result of that, and it, it makes sense because you talk about a small group of people being alone, what's a better location than space? I mean, it's perfect for it. Uh, deep space. They're not deep even space. The same. They're so far away that they have to go into hypersleep to, to, to make it back. Uh, yeah, so that, that's terrifying. Uh, it just brings a whole other level because there's just no safety. There's no retreat from what you're dealing with. You have to deal with it head on. Now, I do um, want to talk about that. The the title, Alien, um, you know, wasn't the original title. I think they were like going to originally call it like star creature star something star beast star I beast think. that's what it was yeah a terrible name and they're like well, let's terrible. let's simplify it that's more of the b movie uh that we were talking about it's a b oh movie that title. that b yeah I man it's got b movie tie i mean written all over it they call it star beast so you you call it something simple alien it's iconic but here's the thing is that you know alien is just associated with any being in space but because of the success of this film it, re- it in a genius way it restricted any of these other movies that are trying to rip it off from using a common word like alien as soon as you p- try to put that in the title you know, there's a copyright infringement you cannot touch a common word like alien in a sci-fi film outside of this franchise it's it's crazy well they put their stamp on it that's what i'm do. that's that's what i'm saying but Putting your stamp on such a common word associated with with space is just it's a it's an awesome move. That well, that, and Spielberg's that, got ET, so it's like you're running out of fucking options if you're making I mean, movies nowadays. I mean, you you're like, what the hell like, am I going to call it? Yeah, like species. You know, you just got you right. You got to yeah. get kind of ingenious. You got to get creative. creative. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and we talked about earlier, less is more. Uh, they borrowed from Jaws, and we, you know, we covered that in the Jaws episode. That was more or less because the fucking shark wasn't working. But a lot of movies have copied this approach. My favorite one we covered last uh, season, Batman Begins, where you see less of Batman. It's more oh, effective. Yeah. A lot of filmmakers and a lot of different genres have used that uh, less is more uh, approach, whether it's a prominent character or a monster seeing less of it. So with the the groundwork that this film laid and, and and how it changed the genre, how has it continued to live on to this day? Well, it's just, I think, to put it simply, just one of the most influential and scariest fucking sci-fi movies ever made. I mean, it just, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, yeah. that, that, that's summing it up right there. Yeah, I mean, if you're going back to watch a film that is, what, uh, over 40 years old at this point. I mean, yeah, and it still has a significant place in the lexicon. That's fucking crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it, it, despite the other alien films in the franchise, but I mean, just within the horror genre itself, I mean, I have friends of mine that this is still amongst their favorites. Uh, when you look at horror sci-fi, I mean, it's one of mine, but this this is not a, an uncommon thing it's it is that way for a lot of people now this movie's been spoofed a lot uh we know specifically the chest burster scene it's been done dozens and dozens of times i'm not gonna sit here and listen my favorite spoofs okay here's my top three yeah the, well here there's one you have to mention so i'll i'll leave you the oh, floor no, but no, you no, better no, mention I, it. I, oh it is absolutely getting mentioned i'm sure the simpsons of course well, yeah well that's not it but i'll keep going ferris bueller's day off also and not yeah. space balls. There it is. There it is. When the John Hurt recreates the <laughs> chestburster scene himself. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, no. Not again. They got it to do that. Ah, oh, I love it. It's brilliant. And then you know, of course, the uh, with the, uh, the the alien busts down into acapella and, and starts singing dance and dancing. And everything. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Sure. All right. Well, what about the 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 sequels and everything that's been done? I mean, we did Aliens a couple seasons ago. I mean, so we we know that it's an ongoing IP. But what is the state of the franchise today? So uh, so we got six total Alien movies of the franchise you got three direct sequels to this movie so there's kind of like that quadrilogy remember that set that came out with the four alien movies sure yeah uh, they kind of stay and then you had david fincher do the third one so you had like three great directors do the first three alien movies that's kind of a great uh legend about now, this, did ridley scott come back for the fourth or did he well no ridley scott came back for prometheus and alien covenant so that's he what did it the, is he did the two direct prequels so there's been six movies, but Ridley Scott did his own Alien trilogy. He did Alien, Prometheus, and Alien Covenant. So he's, I, he, I don't know if he's going to do he another He loves one, this he, franchise. Like yeah, he he's would done make, three of them. Yeah. Though. Well, then don't forget about Alien vs. 
Predator, those two films. Well, there's two well. films, yeah. So it's yeah. 04 and 07, those two films. So you've got an uh, eight, eight, right? Yeah, yeah eight, eight, eight total feature films. And then the merchandise, I mean, come on. It, oh, it gets Jesus. up there with about anybody. Right, rivals about anybody other than Star Wars and Star Trek in terms of like uh, games, toys. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, my kids have never seen, well... I take that back. They've probably seen a scene or two of aliens. If it's like TV, who cares? Yeah, uh, but they they think xenomorphs are badass. I mean, they think it's such a cool design. I mean, like Z, like we we play toys and we play xenomorphs versus Godzilla. I mean, it, it just I mean, it's just a cool design. So yeah, I yeah. Mean, merchandise. But isn't there like a TV series in development right now or something like that or another movie? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if really Scott's done with it. I mean, yeah. even if someone else directs it, you know, he'll probably get producing credit. So, because there's been talks of even like having Sigourney Weaver come back in some capacity. Well, they were going to do that in 2015 before Ridley Scott came back for Prometheus, and then uh, got shot. or uh, 2013, 2014, something like that. Before Prometheus came out, you know, I've played some video games with Alien and what not in that kind of franchise, and some are okay. But I want to call out my favorite connection though is the Metroid games. Uh, there's they named the uh, bosses of the first two were Ridley and Mother Brain, so it's kind of a cool connection there. But anyway, well, it, I think Halo has a lot of design inspiration from the Alien franchise for sure. Some, somewhat, yeah. I think it's one of those where it's pulling no, from a lot for of different. Sure, yeah, but it's pulling from a lot of different different buckets there. But anyway. Uh, I mean, clearly it's permeated pop culture in, in all aspects, uh, TV, video games, and whatnot. So what what type of all-time lists is it on? Uh, let's see. Uh, AFI's 10 top 10 films of all time, science fiction genre, ranked number seven. And then Empire's 500 greatest movies of all time, it ranked 33rd. So uh, pretty high on both. Well, no, I guess the the fact that it made the AFI top oh, yeah. ten of any list is remarkable because wow. they sure. take they took like five hundred top films into consideration. Uh, and then in uh, uh, two thousand and two, the Library of Congress inducted into the uh, National Film Registry. So uh, it, it it's uh, you know it's had some rare distinction. We like we talked about the Oscar stumps early. Definitely should have been more decorated, uh, but the film is still appreciated, beloved, and and it continues to live on. And that's at the end of the day, that's what's most important. Yeah, exactly, and that's why we're talking about it today. Because despite it being over forty years old, despite there being many other films in that genre, this is one of the originals, and it's one of the best. And Philip French of The Observer summed it up best when he said, quote, the film is superbly paced, imaginatively designed, consistently suspenseful, and never attracts an unintentional laugh, unquote. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. The Replay Value podcast is hosted by me, Philip Reinerson, and my brother, Warren Paul. Our recasting judge is Bob Thompson. Produced, edited, and directed by Waldo Pickles Productions and dedicated to our father, who we have to thank for our love of cinema. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website, replayvaluepod.com, and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. This has been a Waldo Pickles production. 